Father, I want to thank you so much for each one who is here and ask for a double portion of your Holy Spirit to be poured out, which is a scary thing, Lord, because this, the first session, we really felt your presence. I did. And, but we're, we don't want to be satisfied, Lord. We want to go deeper and farther. Bless each one now as we petition your throne to pour out your spirit and help us to learn what it means to give him no silence. And thank you for hearing this prayer because we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're starting out with my Wednesday morning prayer spot. When I first arrived at Paradise Church, that afternoon my IT guy came to me and said, Pastor, tomorrow I got to go up on Black Mountain to see, to check on the um, antenna that we have up there, the antenna which downlinks 3ABN to the valley of Las Vegas. And so I thought, I don't want to go on a front Sunday. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, I'll go, sure. And so reluctantly, without him knowing that, I got in the car early in the morning. I'd rather be praying and studying than riding around on a mountain, but I went. We got up there, and this is what I saw. And by the way, you cannot see to the left because I don't have a fisheye, all right? And you cannot see to the right, but the valley opens up from the mountain. And I see the whole valley, and all of a sudden I thought, Lord, I can come up here and pray over this valley. And I remember that HMS Richards climbed the mountain in Los Angeles and he would pray over Los Angeles for God. And so I realized this is a good idea. And so every Wednesday I go up there in the morning and I pray over the valley. And at first it was a neat idea. I was like HMS Richards, but in a short while, that changed quickly for doing this physical effort and then praying over that valley. I fell in love with the valley. That evil, wicked, Satan-controlled valley I fell in love with. And I realized the people need help. And Lord, what can we do to help them? And so now I have to go up to the mountain every Wednesday morning and pray because I love the people and they're being deceived and they do not know what's going on. Well, as I continued to pray, oh, by the way, I want you to see my church. See? You got it? That's where my church is. Now you can see my church. I know, because I don't know where it is there either, but it's about there. By the way, this is the airport where all the planes land and take off. You see, we see them coming in and we see them going out. And I'm a little to the east of the airport, right by the strip. And so I'm up there praying, and all of a sudden I realize we've got to have a citywide evangelistic meeting. We've got to. This city needs something. And then I started thinking, Lord, if it happened here, 
it could make an impact around the world because who would believe that such a thing could happen in such a wicked city? And so I actually approached one of our evangelists because I thought God was directing me to talk to him. And when I did, he said, well, I'm retiring. And I don't know what I'll be doing then. And I was pretty disheartened. I went up in the mountain. I said, Lord, what's going on here? I really thought this is what you wanted. And so I go up every Wednesday morning and I would pray and my burden got heavier, but I still got no answer and received no answer. And, and then I got a call from Indiana to come and to speak during camp meeting to the ordination of three ministers that about five years ago, I had called to that conference as the ministerial director. And they wanted me to come and speak. And I said, You're, you can't keep me away. Three of the guys that, that I helped mentor and bring to the conference. And so I went there and I, I wanted to see the guys, you know. So I worked there for six years in ministerial. I really wanted to see them. And I didn't want to get entangled with the people. And don't get me wrong about that. But, you know, when people start talking to you, then you can't. You know, I wanted to see the guys. I just really wanted to see them. But the speaker was Sean Boonstra. And I thought, Lord, I love Sean Boonstra. <laughs> I'm going to sneak in the back of the auditorium just when he starts preaching. And I'm going to listen. And then the minute he's done, I'm running out the back door, you know. So I snuck in just when he got started. And I'm sitting there. And I don't even know how long but all of a sudden the Lord said to me this is the man and I went yes Lord it is him it wasn't the other one it's this one he said yes it's this one and I said Lord but I gotta tell him I mean all these months of praying I gotta tell him I I, I mean I'm Peter Neary like Peter in the Bible I gotta do it now Lord how I gotta do something and and, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And I'm, now I can't even hear the sermon. And it's really a good one, you know. And I'm missing the whole thing. And he gets done. And I'm sitting there in the sweat. And I'm way in the back. And, and I know what happens. The preacher comes down. And he comes down the inside steps. And he goes down front. And everybody goes, whew, just like that. Right? Yeah. Okay. Only Sean Boonstra doesn't come down the inside steps. He goes behind the curtain. And see, behind that curtain is the door to enter that leads to the back room where for six years I had led the people out at camp meeting as the ministerial director. I thought he is in the back room. And I forgot about the people. And I ran down the side aisle, lickety split. I don't even think anybody noticed me. And I ran straight to the door that leads to that back room. I opened it up and I walked in and sure enough, here's Sean standing there facing the wall. And I walked up and he looks at me and I said, Sean, I'm a pastor in Las Vegas. My name is Peter Neary. And I'd like you to consider doing an evangelistic series citywide in Las Vegas, Nevada. He goes, He says, well, Peter, you know, 
every year I take a list of about four names that I think God is impressing upon my heart. And then I pray over those names. But I don't tell anybody what's on the list. It's just between me and him until I get confirmation from someone else. He says, do you know that Las Vegas is on that list? And I said, no, but I should have said, yes, I do know that. (laughs) I didn't. I said, no. (laughs) And he said, do you know your conference president already talked to me? And I, I went, he did? And he said, so now that you're talking to me, why don't you call him and have him call me? And I mean, my heart is pounding. I'm going, Lord, I can't believe this is true. And I ran out there and I thought, man, I got to text Larry Unterseer. I got to tell him to call Sean Boonster right away, which he did. And Sean uh, came, met, we all met together. And we just had Babylon Rising. By the way, you know it isn't Sean Boonstra, though. It's John Bradshaw, because Sean got sick. And John Bradshaw took over for him. And, and so John Bradshaw did the Babylon Rising. It was really exciting. It was a four-day series, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, in which he set the stage in May for now coming back in January and February, four weeks and five weekends to do a full-blown series for the city of Las Vegas. And ASI has gotten behind it tremendously. The, the union has gotten behind it tremendously. And many supporting organizations of ASI are cooperating. And this is going to happen. Remember, the title is, It Happened Because of Prayer. Not because of name, person, education, successibility. It happened because of prayer. So I'm begging you to give him absolutely. There's my church, by the way. I thought you'd see a picture. The Paradise Church in Las Vegas. Give him no silence. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Isaiah 62. And I'm going to guarantee today that unless you already heard this sermon, you are going to be surprised. Isaiah 62, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. You have it? All right, look what it says here. I have set watchmen... Upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night, ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silent, and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. Now I want to pause a moment. I want you to stare at that text. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silent. You know, a watchman were appointed to be 
on duty all night long in case an enemy approached. And every once in a while, they had to call out to one another. And that's how they were sure that everybody was okay. You know, like, century number one. Century number two. Century number three. And then there's a silence. And all of a sudden we go, oh no. Maybe the wall's been breached over there and the enemy came in and they slew him. And so we run over there. My, my stupid computer has a mind of its own. And they get over there, they find him asleep. You know, if it was a watchman asleep, what they did to him? No. They lit his clothes on fire. <laughs> and then he, he'd wake up in a start. His robe is burning, and he'd have to put it out. And then when he went home, everybody could see he was sleeping. I don't understand the logic of that, but that's what they did anyway. That's history. <laughs> But is that what God was really meaning, though? That's the key here. So let's take a look at what a watchman is. First of all, watchman is word shamar. And this, this will surprise you. It means to hedge about with, as with thorns. Guard, generally, to protect, attend to, keep, keeper, preserve, save, watch, watchman. And by the way, every church I've been to, I've had watchmen who felt their job was to walk around and criticize other people. Why are you, why is your dress so short? How come your hair is purple? Don't you know you're not supposed to come to church in blue jeans? Probably was a visitor from another church, never been to an Adventist church. Okay, the watchman. Got to call sin, sin. Walk up and accuse, abuse, and judge people. But this says a watchman is to hedge about with thorns. You want to know that's the same Hebrew word that said he told Adam and Eve to do what to the garden? Keep it. Shamar. Hedge it about as with thorns. Protect it. Guard it. Watch over it. Take care of it. Nurture it. Keep the Sabbath. Guard it. Protect it. Watch over it. The word watchman means more than somebody who runs around the church. In fact, if you're a member of my church and you do that, please go to another church. Let me call sin, sin. Just be hard on yourself, but easy on everybody else. And so as we look at this, we notice this. First of all, God appointed the watchman, right? I have appointed the watchman on the walls, O Jerusalem. Who appointed them? Who appointed them? God did. Number two, they are to do what? Never hold their peace day or night. No sleep. By the way, sounds like Jesus. Number three, make mention of the Lord. That's what my King James says, make mention of the Lord. 
And then number four says, keep not silent. Isn't that what verse six says to us? Look at verse six. Okay, God set watchmen on the walls. They're not to hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silent. So here's what a watchman is to be. And we are Jerusalem today. The church. So you're a watchman. You've been appointed by God. And you are to never hold your peace day or night. And you that make mention of the Lord, keep not silent. But let's look at this more closely. The King James and New King James say, Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silent. I'm just looking at the last part. Then we get to the NIV and the um, WEB, which is the World English Bible, and it says, You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. But then we get to the New American Standard, and it says, All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord. Take no rest for yourself. And then the Revised Standard Version, in the last three I don't like, by the way, NIV, NASB, and RSV, but that's a whole different series. It says, you who put the Lord in remembrance. Do you see that? Well, I'll show it to you. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. You who remind the Lord, you who call upon the Lord, ye that make no mention of the Lord. Here's the Hebrew word here. You who put the Lord in remembrance. That Hebrew word, ye, the King James says, ye that make mention of the Lord. You got it? That Hebrew word, ye that are the Lord's remembrancers. By the way, put the remembrancers on your computer and watch it reject the, the spelling and the wording. No such word. Remembrancers. But it says God's servants who by their prayers put God in remembrance of his what? promises hold on here folks wait a minute we do this we've suddenly shifted this whole paradigm here we were talking about walking around in the church pointing out sin and judging people and now all of a sudden we're going wait a minute we're to remind the Lord of his promises and sure enough, that Hebrew word means that we are the Lord's remembrancers. That is the literal meaning of that Hebrew word. That the King James says, you that make mention of the Lord. We are required to remind God as if God could, which he cannot, forget his promises. How are you doing as a watchman? 
Are you reminding God regularly, day and night, of his promises? In fact, do you know the promises? How can you remind the Lord of his promises if you don't know his promises? And how do you know his promises but by spending time in your Bible? So that any time that day God sends somebody to you, you would have received from the Lord a promise that you can claim for them right then and there. By the way, doesn't the Bible say that? Morning by morning he awakeneth, he wakened my ear as one of the learned, so that I will have in season a word for him who is weary. Where's that? Isaiah 50, verse 4. God will wake you up every morning and he will teach you. And then that day, he'll bring you into contact with someone who needs to hear what he shared with you that morning. That morning. That's exactly what it says. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The watchmen are to be constantly reminding God of his promises. Now, for those of you who are here for part one, you see where the church corporately is lacking in this. Does your church regularly call for prayer times in which you petition him about anything or something? If it does, then you are very blessed. If it doesn't, you are very typical. And that isn't what a watchman is to be doing. Now, you who make mention of the Lord is an accurate rendition of that Hebrew word, and we should be make mention of the Lord. But it also literally means that we are to remind the Lord of his promises. And we're not to keep silent day or night. Thank you. Here's what the Amplified Bible says. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, who will never hold their peace day or night. You who, parentheses, are his servants and your prayers. There's a word missing. Yeah, look at that. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, who will never hold their peace day or night. You who are his servants and by your prayers put the Lord in remembrance of his promises, keep not silent. That's what the uh, Amplified Bible, that's how they interpreted it. Notice it incorporates the idea of you who make mention of the Lord, but it also includes and highlights you need to be reminding God of his promises. You are a remembrancer. By the way, if you're a parent, how many times have you told your kid, I told you not to do that? You are reminding them <laughs> of your promises. Because if you do, I will do this. Isn't that beautiful? 
I didn't realize it cut it off there. But it catches the essence of this. And look at verse, look at the next verse. We did verse 6. You who put the Lord in remembrance, give him no rest or silence until he establishes and a praise. Okay, look at verse 7. And give him no rest. Now, King James says rest. What does your Bible say? Give him no rest, verse 7. Anybody have something else? Does everybody say rest? Verse 7. Give him no rest. Is everybody asleep? <laughs> okay, in my margin, in my margin, the word in Hebrew for rest also means silence. So you give him no rest or you give him no silence. But I'm trying to make a point, so I entitled this, Give Him No Silence. Notice the very beginning of verse number 7 says, Therefore, you watchmen, what should you do? Give him no silence. And you're to continue to do it until two things happen. He makes Jerusalem up until he establishes Jerusalem and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, how are we to understand that? Until he establishes the church and makes the church a praise in the earth. And that will only happen after the second coming of Jesus Christ. Right? So how long are you to be watchmen? Till he, he comes. And then you become kings and priests. No, that's not true. I blew that. I apologize. Why? Because you're already kings and priests. Did you know that? We are to give him absolutely no silence. I want to see a church. I want my churches to pray. In fact, let me tell you a story. Last year at this time, no, yeah, last year at this time and prior to the August, we ran into a problem in Las Vegas. We have a junior academy there. And the Junior Academy has a constituency of three churches. A large one, a medium one, and a small one. There are 12 churches in Las Vegas. Yeah, I knew somebody would get it startled by that. We have 12 churches in Las Vegas. Three are a member of the constituency, and I understand that. We are devastated financially there. Nevada leads the world, the country, in foreclosures. I know California isn't much better, but we're the worst. And the large church, because of finances, pulled out of the constituency. That meant the medium-sized church, especially, 
was responsible for six full-time employment salaries. Along with the little church that is very faithful. And I'm the pastor of the medium-sized church. And I'm going... You see, for two years previous, our enrollment was 65. And we were praising God. Why? Because for two straight years, we started at 65 and we ended at 65. That's good. Secondly, in both years, we were in the black. Yeah, only $17,000 and $10,000, but we were in the black. And we did not want to mess with the church school. It's in the black. But because of the economy, the big church pulls out. And folks, I'm a convert from Catholicism. I had never attended a Seventh-day Adventist school until I went to the seminary. But I am totally committed to Adventist education. And in fact, my heart is broken over the fact that our people no longer support Adventist education the way they used to. But I said, I'm going to pull out of the constituency. Because if the enrollment goes down because the big church pulled out, then by Christmas time, if we can't afford the amount of money it will take to pay, what did I say, five full-time salaries? Six full-time salaries. We will fire six people. And I thought, I can't do that. And then I told it to the pastor of the small church. And he looked at me and said, Peter, you can't do that. He said, Peter, this is God's school. He'll take care of it. And he had to bring me back from the brink and suddenly I went, he's right. We're going to do this. And then I thought, it happened because of prayer. So I declared something we hadn't done before that I know of, if anybody else has done it. Our church periodically when there's an emergency from the North American Division General Conference will call for a Sabbath of fasting and prayer. The problem is that Adventists are very busy people throughout the week and Sabbath is a very social time and it's hard to get Adventists to really commit to something like that because we don't have that expectancy of the disaster that's looming around us and we're involved in life so much. I'm getting way off now. So anyway, I came up with this thought or the Lord gave me this thought. We call it skip lunch and pray Sabbath. And so after church is over, we give everybody 20 minutes break, especially if they got little kids and you want to go into the fellowship hall and give them something to eat. But I'm asking everybody else to skip their lunch. Then come back in the church and we are going to sing, read scriptures, and then pray. Sing, read scriptures, and pray. And our focus, one of our focuses, is going to be on the church school. And so when... We read a scripture that dealt with God and his providential uh, provisions of 
finances, whatever, and sang a hymn that exemplified that and then had a prayer from up front. We then asked all the people to break up in groups and pray. And then we went to the next subject. And by the way, the next subject in our, our valley is employment. I've got an elder who's been out of work for two years that has two kids. And he cannot get hired. He even got a job offer in which one Sabbath a month he had to give two hours. And he said, no, I cannot work on Sabbath. And they said, well, we are not going to hire you. By the way, on Monday, he has a final interview for a job. Two years. We prayed about them. And so we sang the song. We read the scriptures. We had a formal prayer. And then we said, now surround these people in the congregation who are out of work and pray for them. Each group had one or two people. Prayed for them. So we skipped lunch. We prayed Sabbath. School starts in a week or two. And at this time last year, I called the principal. I said, Arlen, tell me what the enrollment is. He said, Peter, or pastor, the enrollment is 95. Okay, wait, wait, you didn't. 93, by the way, I lied to you. 65. 65, skip lunch and pray Sabbath, 93. Where did those others come from? I mean, yeah, it happened because of prayer. We are not to keep silent. And listen, I'm going to say this in love, and I'm going to say this in tenderness. But if you have a pastor who doesn't believe in prayer, I feel really sorry for you if you do because you will have a frustrating time. You will. And your church will continue to flounder. And don't ask me why I do what I do and I am what I am. It just happened. These simple principles. I guess, I guess here's a clue for your success and my success. You have to realize how deficient and ineffective you are. And, and if I ever overcome my deficiency and ineffectualness or whatever all the words are, my church and my people are in trouble. Yeah, amen. And so it happened because of prayer. We are not to keep silent until the second coming of Jesus Christ, till he establishes the church. And by the way, if you don't understand this concept of the Old Testament promises to Jerusalem now apply to the church, it's because they not only crucified them, but they threw him out of the temple. And he said, your house is left unto you desolate. I don't care what the dispensationalists say to you. I want you to know the promises of the Old Testament are no longer valid. Israel is not going to rise again. It is the church. And we are to be harassing God to death. We already did that one. Oh, those are my boys. I'm sorry I got that in there. I forgot that. Now I want to share something with you in closing. And I have a card for you. I, in my Bible... 
there are certain quotes that are so powerful that I carry them with me everywhere I go. And then sometimes I add on to them. These are quotes that are just standing out above all the other quotes. And I want to read this to you. This is from Mount of Blessings. By the way, if you want to be a better prayer person, one of the ways you do that, no, the only way you do it, or the main way you do it, is you practice prayer. Okay? <laughs> you practice prayer. Yes, I know, you know, we take this intellectual brainiac approach where we got to read every book. It's amazing sometimes when I get around some of my praying people, how did you read this book about prayer and that book about prayer? And no, I didn't even know it was written. And, and by the way, they're doing the same thing. I, I just do it differently, but I want you to know. Read books if you want, but would you please practice it? And in so doing, God will show you how to pray. And then he'll lead you to certain books and they will give you additional information that will help what you're already doing. But read what Ellen White says about prayer. Steps to Christ has the longest chapter in that book is on prayer, the privilege of prayer. And Mount of Blessings covers the Lord's Prayer. And remember, they said, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach. And, and Ellen White tells us in Christ Object Lessons that they came to Jesus and they heard him pray. And they were so um, struck by his prayer that when he finished, they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples. You remember my first illustration in the first session for those who were here? I became a Seventh-day Adventist from the Catholic Church at age 26, and I didn't even know you were supposed to pray. I just knew all the truths of the Bible. John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. The disciples heard Jesus pray, and they said, Teach us. Listen to this. The hearts of the listening disciples were deeply moved. They had marked how often he, Jesus, spent long hours in solitude, in communion with the Father. His days were passed in ministry to the crowds that pressed upon him and in unveiling the treacheries, treacherous sophistries of the rabbis and his incessant labor often left him so utterly weary that his mother and brothers and even his disciples had feared that his life would be sacrificed. Now, now I'm, I'm shifting gears. I'm going into high. Are you ready? But as he returned from his hours of prayer that closed the toilsome day, they, the disciples, marked the look of peace upon his face, the sense of refreshment that seemed to pervade his presence. 
It was from hours spent with God that he came forth morning by morning to bring the light of heaven to men. Here it is. His disciples had come to connect his hours of prayer with the power of his words and his work. Mount of Blessings, page 120, 102. And here it is for you to take. And if it moved you like it moved me to put in your Bible and read it every once in a while. This is what God is waiting for in his church. Father, I want to thank you again for challenging us to experience more deeply communion with you. Oh Lord, for the day or the morning or the night when we can come forth from prayer and people say, wow, you have a look of peace upon your face. And that our prayer life, Father, would contribute to the power of our words and our work. I want you to bless each one here and especially the young people that they would practice these principles, Lord, and you would show yourself not a liar. That when you say something, you'll do it. And Lord, help our church that it may pray more. Help us to see our need of petitioning your throne, even as feeble as we are. And then when you act, Father, we will believe more fervently and trust you more completely. Let decisions be made now as we depart and keep us ever looking up to you. And thank you for hearing this prayer and answering it because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.